So who's got Spotify? Who uses Spotify? Hands up. This is a much greater percentage than 10 a.m., okay? Um, if you don't know, Spotify is a music streaming service on a thing called the internet, okay? You can use it to play music. So you can just like search any track you want, and most things are on there. But Spotify likes to try and work out um, what else you might like um, based on what you've listened to already. So it'll come up with suggested playlists for you, okay, based on what you've already listened to. Um, so here, it tries to guess things about you, okay? So here's some of the things that's coming with mine. So Kiddo, there's a slide. Sorry, they're a bit fuzzy. So this is, it says Britpop, et cetera. That's all right, that's uh, understandable. Makes me look pretty cool, I think. That's not bad. Next one, things go downhill. We've got Unwind 80s, suggested on my previous listening. And then it gets worse. Next one, thanks, Kiddo. Timeless love songs. Yeah, they are romantic. And uh, finally, hits from the movies, that's all right. Power Ballad Heaven. So from that, you can try and guess what music I've been listening to. Uh, that's only music, and like Spotify can make guesses about me and what I might like, but it doesn't, Spotify doesn't really know me. Um, so basic question, how do you know what really makes me tick? And more to the point, how do you know that I'm a disciple of Jesus, like for real? Should people be able to tell if we're a Christian from the outside looking in? Uh, last week, we looked at grace. We thought deeply about grace, that when we turn to God in true repentance, trusting in Jesus, we're, we're made right with God. Our relationship is, is fully restored, completely by grace. But the question for tonight is, now what? Uh, what happens on Monday morning? What does a, a life of following Jesus look like? How is being a disciple of Jesus going to change what is on our playlist of life? Uh, not talking about our taste in music, but what is being devoted to Jesus going to cost us? What's going to have to go? What's going to stay? How is it going to change us? And we're going to use this case study of Zacchaeus. That's, I've always been taught to say Zacchaeus. I've noticed here everyone says Zacchaeus. I can't do it, I'm sorry. Zacchaeus, all right? We're going to follow this case study of Zacchaeus to see how he responds to Jesus and what, what he can teach us about our own response to Jesus and discipleship. So just to get us into context of where we are. So this comes towards the end of, of Luke's account of Jesus' life, his orderly account written to convince, convince us to believe in Jesus. And Jesus meets Zacchaeus in Jericho, which was a sort of major center of trade and administration and is not far from Jerusalem. Uh, and Jesus, by the end of the chapter, Jesus is going to get to Jerusalem, having resolved to determinedly set his face towards Jerusalem, uh, knowing with every step that he takes... He's getting closer to the cross. But still he's got time for Zacchaeus. But let's just have a quick look at chapter 18. So keep your Bibles open and just flip back to chapter 18. Because there's some interesting context for Zacchaeus' story. I'll just go through this quickly. So chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus tells a parable. Two blokes go to the temple. One's a Pharisee, the religious bloke. 
very pleased with himself. The other is a tax collector who, verse 13, the tax collector stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So tax collectors were the most hated people of Jesus' day. So this parable is shocking. You know, the bad guy is better off before God than the good guy because he's humble enough to know his need. So that's a tax collector, a whole tax collector in mind. Uh, next, Jesus rebukes his disciples for stopping bringing children to him because, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So we had a tax collector, we had a little child. And then there's a ruler um, who ends up going away sad because he won't give up his wealth to follow Jesus. And Jesus concludes it's impossible for someone rich to be saved, except for God intervening. So we've got tax collector, child, a ruler who is wealthy. And at the end of chapter 18, Jesus heals a blind man. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. So a blind man whose faith heals him. So in chapter 18, we've had, the, the scene is we've had all these different reactions to Jesus, and, and Jesus sort of, saying the different statuses in God's kingdom that these people have. Um, A tax collector, a little child, a wealthy ruler, and a blind man. And now we meet Zacchaeus. He's like a best of kind of mixtape compilation of all these people. Um, So verse 2 is a tax collector, and not only that, he's a chief tax collector, and that word for chief is the same word as for ruler. So he's literally a ruler tax collector, and he's wealthy, we're told. So he's a tax collector, he's a ruler, he's wealthy. And then the other two are a bit more of a stretch. We're told that he's short and has to climb up a tree. So like a child, maybe. And why did he climb up? Verse 3, because he could not see, like a blind man. Now, I could be reading too much into these sort of links between that previous chapter and Zacchaeus. But the the fact is, this tension is there of how will Zacchaeus, a wealthy bad guy, bad guy of bad guys, how will he respond to Jesus? Is he going to be humble and repentant like the tax collector in the parable? Is he going to have faith like the blind man asking for mercy? Or is he going to walk away sad like the rich ruler, unwilling to give up his wealth to follow Jesus? And how will Jesus respond to him? Will he call him like a little child? Will he ask him to follow him like the wealthy ruler? Uh, Will he ask him what he wants like he did the blind man? All these tensions. So Zacchaeus presumably has heard a bit about Jesus. I mean, there's a a big crowd in Jericho waiting to see him. All we, all we do know for sure is that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. And so he runs ahead and climbs up the tree because he's too short to see over the crowd. And that might be where you're up to tonight, having a look at who Jesus is. And we'd love to help you do that. So speak to me or Mark afterwards. 
if you want to look at who Jesus claims to be, what his mission was, and why we believe he's God's son who saves us into right relationship with God. But whoever we are, whatever we're up to, like Zacchaeus, we're all a mixtape of different influences, of different experiences, motives, likes, dislikes, different personalities. And we've all in our own ways turned away from God and doing what we know he wouldn't like us to do. So for Zacchaeus, it was state-sanctioned theft from his own people. But for Zacchaeus and for us, Jesus has turned up. He's come to seek and to save us. And he's worth our attention. So there's an outline there that's vaguely musically themed just because it helps me organize it in my brain. So we're down to get down, verse 5 to 7. Okay, so we saw in chapter 15 last week how God, that, um, Jesus told some parables that show us that God isn't like a grumpy passport border control officer, um, but rather God is, goes out to seek and save the lost. And that's the punchline to this story about Jesus too. If we skip forward to verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Son of Man is a title Jesus uses for himself, which tells us that he is claiming that he is God's promised chosen one, the Messiah. And we see that Jesus is on the same mission to seek and save the lost. So let's have a look at this in action in verses 5 to 7, where Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. But all the people who saw this, uh, all the people saw this and began to mutter, mm, he's gone to be the, uh, the, the sinner. See, tax collectors were the bad guys. Uh, they were hated because. They were working for the occupying Roman forces, the unclean Gentile invaders. And worse still, they abused their power, uh, their position, to rip off and exploit their own people, backed up by Roman enforcers. And worse than that, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So it's reasonable to assume that he's not only taking part in the corruption, but he's probably leading the charge, egging all the other, on all the other guys to do it, and teaching them all these dirty tricks. And yet, with all this big crowd of people in Jericho wanting to welcome and cheer on Jesus, Jesus looks up and picks out public enemy number one, Zacchaeus. In fact, if you look all through Luke's gospel and you're trying to get um, the gist of Luke's emphasis in writing his gospel, one thing you'd pick up is that six times he mentions these dreaded tax collectors. And the funny thing is that in all six references, he says something positive about them. They're the worst, but he says something positive about them. Because Jesus turns everything upside down. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he doesn't hang about with tax collectors because he's got a soft spot for them. 
He hangs around with them for the same reason a doctor hangs around in a hospital. It's because that's where the people who need him most are. So right from the start then, Jesus' um, disciples haven't been religious types um, with not much to lose or people who'd find it pretty easy. He's not, he's, these disciples have never been just people who were sort of naturally predisposed towards being religious. Jesus has always called people with everything to lose by following him and with the odds stacked against them being right with God. So when you or I find following Jesus a struggle, we're in good, bad company. Discipleship, following Jesus, is costly and it's difficult, it's hard, precisely because Jesus seeks and saves us when we're lost, not because we had it all together. So that also means we shouldn't think of anyone else as too hard to reach, as unlikely to become a disciple. We should do our best to share Jesus and make him known so that some may want, like Zacchaeus, to come and see who he is and be called by him. So that should influence who we try and reach. So, for example, did you know it's only seven weeks until Carol's at the Bay? Can you believe it? It'll soon be Christmas. So think about who you will invite. And knowing that Jesus can reach anyone Will that influence who you invite? Uh, the other thing is to note is that none of us can boast about being disciples of Jesus. It's not because there's anything, anything better about us. We're only saved because Jesus first sought us out while we were still his enemies. Jesus calling Zacchaeus out of this tree is personal it's urgent, and it's irresistible. So verse 5, it says, Zacchaeus, by name, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And throughout the Gospels, whenever Jesus calls people to follow him, it's follow me today. Is today your day? I remember my day. I'd grown up in church, so I knew who Jesus was, and I'd, I'd never consciously rejected him, but one night I was at this Christian convention when I was 15, listening to the Bible talk, and I knew it wasn't this preacher that I had to answer to. I knew it wasn't my church that I had to answer to, or my youth leader um, who's staying with us this weekend. I didn't answer, have to answer to any of them. I had to answer to Jesus who was personally calling me. Uh, I knew he was real. I knew I'd sinned against people and against God. And I knew Jesus promised to save me. Now, I wasn't up a tree, but it was, uh, they did ask people to come down, come down to the front of the, whole, of the auditorium, like an old-fashioned sort of come and give your life to Jesus down the front. And I did. And I can relate to why Zacchaeus kept leapt down from that tree and welcomed Jesus into his home. It says he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So that gladly word is the same as rejoicing, full of joy. Um, just 
just talk about joy. I know uh, as a church, you know, we're not especially exuberant when we're singing. You know, we're, uh, we, you hear the occasional clap. You might see the occasional clap, but we're not like joy right out there on our sleeve, are we? But I do know that we're full of joy. Because when you turn to Christ, a deep-seated joy comes in. Not happiness. I think happiness is, in God's grace, God gives everyone some happiness. There are things that God has given to all of us, um, Christian or not Christian, to make us happy. We're supposed to enjoy things. But joy is that deep-seated sense that everything is okay at the deepest level, where it's most important, because you have peace with God. So is that where you're up to today? Is there peace between you and God? Or are you still hiding up a tree from him? And what about Zacchaeus? Is, is his joy, his leaping down from the tree, is that the real deal? Because the cynics in the crowd are, are like um, me and Sharon are when watching The Bachelorette, you know, say, don't trust him. Don't trust him, he's a rat. He'll just, he's just stringing you along. Have they got Zacchaeus right? Or has he really become a Christian? Well, verses 8 to 9 change the record. There's an immediate change in Zacchaeus, isn't there? Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now that's really extravagant. Giving away half his stuff is generous in itself. He's a wealthy man. Uh, and the law, so to make reparations, for, when you've ripped somebody off, the law said he would have to pay back what he'd stolen plus a fifth. But Zacchaeus has actually gone beyond that and he's picked up on the most extreme law that he could find for paying back. So it's the, the law for when you steal somebody's cattle from uh, Leviticus. Um, and because stealing someone's cattle was kind of life and death thing, and they were really relying on that cattle, you had to pay back four times. And that's what Zacchaeus hones in on. So in other words, as best he can in his context, he's done a complete 180 degree turnaround. So for Zacchaeus, his thing was money. Um, leading the charge in stealing money was, was what defined him before Jesus called him, but not anymore. So as much as he used to be stingy, and now he's generous, or even more generous. And as much as he used to increase the margins for his own benefit, he's now increasing the margins in favor of those that he's robbed even more. And Jesus' conclusion Today, salvation has come to this house. But notice where Jesus says that. He says it after Zacchaeus' action. Now, we know from other gospel stories that Jesus could read people's minds and hearts. He knew, he would know if Zacchaeus was for real or not. But he doesn't say it until Zacchaeus' repentance has been proven in action. And the point is not that Zacchaeus' actions have saved him. Zacchaeus' actions have not saved him. But Zacchaeus' actions show 
that he has been saved. So is giving up your wealth, is that what's, um, what it is always means to follow Jesus? Should we all give away half of our stuff? What does, what does God want from us? What does Jesus want from us in following him? Well, Jesus wants us to long after him in everything. See, for Zacchaeus, gladly welcoming Jesus in has meant that his whole economy, his, old, his whole reason for being has changed. So before what had made him tick, what he was all about was serving himself. But now, his reason for being, what makes him tick, is following Jesus. So now what Jesus thinks of him is more important to him than anything else. And it changes what he does with his money, his approach to fair dealing. It changes everything. And it is going to cost him. Big time. It's, it's going to cost him more than half his wealth. It'll cost him his circle of friends, his whole way of life, really. But it's worth it. Because whatever Zacchaeus thought was good before, now he knows Jesus is better. And what Jesus wants for all of us is for him to be what makes us tick in everything. For us to know that in everything, Jesus is better. And to act in response to the fact that we know Jesus is better. Now, I bet those of us who've been disciples of Jesus for a while um, can think of a sin that we've struggled with and actually, we've got really distressed about how slow and agonizing our progress is in overcoming that. And actually, when we read this story about Zacchaeus, we're a bit, we're a bit jealous of his sudden turnaround and being able to change things. So should we expect to be able to change things so dramatically? I think, yes, we should, where a life is lived like Zacchaeus's, in an obvious and public, ungodly way. Uh, other things, though, might take longer. We'll never be sinless this side of Jesus' return. But the Bible does tell us that God is at work in us by his Spirit. And when we trust Jesus with our life, Jesus starts calling the shots from the inside. Jesus is our saviour, and he's also our Lord. He's, he's Lord over us. And he'll use our reading of the Bible to convict us of what should stay, and what should go, and what to replace it with. So if we think back to the Spotify playlist, if we think of life as being like a Spotify playlist, okay, when we start following Jesus, it's like we're now setting up our playlist, not for ourselves, but our life's playlist for Jesus. And some tracks are just obviously not compatible. And once we've accepted Jesus, our tastes radically changed. And we can't even think why well, we liked that track in the first place and we're happy to get rid of it and we feel freer without it. Other tracks though, we know Jesus won't like and we still really want to listen to him though. And we find it hard not singing along to that same old tune. But if I didn't change any of the music, 
then you'd reasonably conclude that my list was still just for me, that I wasn't following Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus, saved from being lost, yes, we should expect less and less evidence of that lostness in ourselves as we count the cost of following Jesus over a lifetime. And if someone claims to be a Christian, but their life and their behavior shows no evidence of it, then we've no reason to think that they've genuinely received Jesus. But as we think about how our being a Christian shows out in, on the outside, in the way we live it out, don't forget what prompted the change in Zacchaeus and what prompts the change in us. Jesus reaching out to us in grace and insisting on coming in. So to sum up, recommended for you. Jesus is the son of man, God's promised one, come to seek and save the lost. And if you don't know him already, come and see who Jesus is, like Zacchaeus did. And don't be surprised if you find him calling you to welcome him into your life. And if you know that's happening already, stop resisting Jesus, climb down from your tree, and trust him to save you, bringing you peace with God. For all of us, all of us need to keep remembering God's free gift of grace to us in Jesus as we follow him. So that we devote ourselves to Jesus and cut out sin in response to that grace. Not out of sense of duty or to earn our way to God, but out of thankfulness. Because we can see that Jesus is better than anything else that we might want to hold on to. So in response to grace, let's each of us examine ourselves and ask, what do I need to 180 degrees turn away from? And what would it look like, not just to just stop it, but to go over the top in the other direction in following Jesus? So for example, not just to stop gossiping, but also to go out of our way to encourage and build others up. Not to just give up those unhelpful TV shows and websites, but cultivate a love for what is good and edifying, builds us up. And not just stopping pushing our own agenda all the time, but actively seeking out what's good for others to help other people with their agendas. We all need to think what we could cut from our playlist and what we might replace it with. If you are struggling to be devoted to Jesus, to be his disciple, if the cost seems too much, keep your eyes, like Zacchaeus did, keep your eyes fixed on who he is, the Son of God, your Savior, and your Lord. And remember the cost that he bore for you on the cross, paying for our sin so that we can enjoy peace with God. And remember that Jesus calls you, he calls you by name. Whatever you've done, 
however awful you've been, Jesus calls you by name and says, I must stay with you today. I want to finish with these words from Titus uh, because I think it sums up that grace. That it's grace that drives us to count the cost and live lives devoted to Jesus. Now, I haven't got it on the screen, so just, just listen to it. And if you want to look it up afterwards, it's in Titus 2. So listen to this, and we'll finish with this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and 